Welcome y'all to Kurakaos. Usually when I did this in the past, I did a long intro into whoever the guest was, but it's 2019 and I'm trying new things. And there's many reasons why I asked you, Andy, to, to speak with me today. Yes. Many inspiring oh, was that reasons. was that my intro? That was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my, all I'm giving you. My man. name is Andy. All right, no, no keep no, keep no, it going. That's no. fine. That's fine. No, there's, there's, there's a lot of reasons why I wanted to talk. Well, I wanted to talk to you. The primary one that kind of the rest fall under is your commitment to San Diego and and how much work you do to kind of give some cultural pride to the city and an identity. Yes, that's sir. something that that I find really inspiring. Um, but instead of me introducing who you are and what you do, because you're kind of a multi hyphenate kind of dude. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> that was a good, that was a good <laughs> that's, term. That's where we'll leave it. Yeah, <laughs> just the multi No, why don't you? When people ask you what you do or who you are, like, wh- how would you introduce yourself? Uh, I still try to figure that out with myself. I don't know. Um, professionally, or see, the thing is, I, I'm I'm currently in a state of limbo where what I'm trying to do professionally is almost professional, but not professional enough where I can actually claim it yet. So I uh, professionally do graphic design and I do content creation. That's what the professional term is. But aside from that, in my when you're crossing the board and they ask you what you do, and oh you yeah, are, yeah, you tell them. Oh, actually, if they ask me that, I was like, oh, I'm, I, I market stuff. I'm a marketer. <laughs> so uh, what I what I think I really do, um, I host or I organize events and I run a, a cultural coverage uh, group called the Travelers Club. And essentially within the Travelers Club includes events, cultural coverage in San Diego, uh, writing articles, creating uh, design work that I feel like would represent San Diego and the city. And just I just try to push San Diego. That's essentially my industry. Yeah, that, that's the part that I wanted to hear about. Um, I like that cultural coverage. I never heard it put, it put like that. Before we get into the Travelers Club, which I think will be the bulk of our conversation, I kind of want to get to know who you are a little better because I don't really know much about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were born here in San Diego, I assume. TJ. You were born in TJ. Yes, Oasis when... Hospital in Playa de Tijuana. Really? Yeah. I live in Playa de Tijuana now. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Long stays off there. Meseta Road. Cool, man. We gotta hang out down there. Um, when did you move to San Diego? When I was five. And because it seems like oh, you're... sorry, I moved to the Bay Area when I was five, and then I came to San Diego when I was nine. Interesting. So That's I spent my formative years in San Diego. Yeah. And you're obviously of Mexican yeah, descent. Yeah. Mexican and Korean descent. There's a good story really? to that. Yeah. I'm you very proud of that. Tell me that story. I had no idea. All right. So there's a thing, and I didn't know about this until recently. I've always known that my family has, like, we have a huge Korean side of my family. So we have two different parties all the time. It's our Mexican side and the Korean side. The Korean side is, like, very well-off people now. Uh, they've all settled in, like, Rolling Hills, East Lake. But essentially, if... There's a huge Korean and Mexican community, especially in Tijuana. Like, uh, really? I mean, I know I've seen restaurants. I didn't know it was that big. Oh, no, it's huge. And the crazy part is, like, I've met people at parties, and they're like, oh, I'm Korean and Mexican. And it's like, oh, who's, who's your dad? And then they know my parents. And then somehow we've hung out when we were little, whatever. But Korea, the Korean and Mexican lineage goes back to 1915 when a boat came from Seoul, Korea, that brought indentured servants to Yucatan. And from Yucatan, that Korean uh, ancestry or lineage pretty much spread throughout Mexico. And a big part of it is in Yucatan and a big part of it is in Tijuana right now. So if you go to Yucatan, you can find all the records of pretty much everybody who's of Korean and Mexican ancestry in that one boat. And like literally everybody somehow is interlinked. And I guess they have have like some sort of festival every uh, 
like a uh, year and the or they used to at least and uh, one time my great grandma won an award for being the oldest living korean mexican really? yeah, yeah yeah it was crazy she had all <laughs> she had all yeah, good genes <laughs> yeah she had all so she didn't even know what she was winning the award for but that shit was crazy yeah so but uh they 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 award those things and like they have like a whole celebration it's crazy Dude, I had, it's funny because like I'm also Mexican and I'm of like a, a weird minority of Mexicans that are Jewish that also most people have no idea they exist. Oh, yeah. And even myself, I'm like fascinated. I had no idea. I mean, obviously, the, the stereotypical idea of what people think when they think of Mexico is is not Korean or Jewish. Yeah. And I'm just always surprised to hear about, oh, wow, there's like, it's, it's even more wide and diverse than I thought. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, for sure. Do you feel shaped by like your Korean or I guess like do you feel more Mexican than Korean or more American? Like what, what identity <laughs> has shaped you the most? I think that's something I've always struggled with. Um, essentially, I left Mexico too young to formulate a sense of identity within my Mexican like uh, lineage, mm. and too late to uh, or too late, and also raised by people that made it certain that being a Chicano and being an American was like something to be guilty for. Oh. So it's like it's it's kind of that weird space where it's like when we came to America, it's like you have to learn English or nobody's going to take you seriously. And then when we learned English, it was like you have to learn Spanish, or we're not going to take you seriously. Yeah, that's that's tough. So it's 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 this weird like, uh, and I still deal with it a lot. Where it's like I look at like Mexican, uh, culturally very significant Mexican like things, like you know like playing loteria or like fucking Dia de los Muertos or los tres reyes. Is that, that is it? Yeah, like I've never celebrated any of that. But at the same time, it's like my parents were also very adamant about not. Uh, assimilating to American culture. So my mom's been here since 2000 and or 1998, and she still doesn't know English. You know, like barely. And it's like something that she's she, Spanish with her. Yeah, 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 yeah. So she's very adamant about not assimilating. So it's like this weird thing. Like I don't, I don't, I don't really, I don't really find an identity with anything. It's kind of this limbo, this cultural limbo that I've always navigated through. It's like yeah, I, I, I mean, I can totally relate to that. Where you're kind of in this in between zone of like yeah. you're not either you're too much of this for there and too much of that for the, over here, mm -hmm. and like I think the older I get it, it becomes like it's almost like a freedom because then you can kind of be whatever you want, but yeah. it also comes with that. At least when you're younger, and at least for me, that's just how it was. It's like a feeling of not belonging really anywhere. Exactly. I think that's also uh, been a big uh, force of why I've gravitated towards embracing San Diego so much. It's because it's like. If I don't have roots in this one country and I don't have roots in this other country, what do I have roots in? So it's like I've spent my formative years in San Diego. Most of my biggest like life moments have been in San Diego. So this is the one city where I, I, I can actually be like, that's home. I know this street. I know this street. I know this street. Like I pride myself in being very knowledgeable and being uh, very like proud of like, you know, like proud of San Diego because that's the one thing I can actually have roots in. For sure, and I, I totally feel that, and I agree with that. I think for, for me, it was also the combination of this binational region of Tijuana, San Diego, being able to kind of straddle, and Tijuana being, and San Diego too, being being a place where so many people come from all walks of life to seek a better life, so it's this kind of welcoming to all cultures, weird metropolis. I think that finding my place within this binational region has felt like the closest thing to home. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. Know, not like the closest thing it feels like home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, cool, I, I wanted to ask you, I think I kind of 
based on what you're saying, I know that you you fell in love with hip hop at a very early age. Oh yeah, for sure. Since you were a kid, it seemed like that was like the first thing you gravitated towards. Yeah, I remember the specific moment. I was like five years old. We had just moved to San or to the Bay Area, but we came back for Christmas, and I was in my house, and my older cousin gave me a a tape, and it was 1998, and it was Lil Wayne, uh, uh, Lights Out. And I just remember like listening to that and just being like, this is the most insane thing I've ever heard in my life. And then I came back to the Bay Area and that's when the Thong Song blew up that same year. Oh, so wow. I was like, all right, Cisco's dope. All this shit is dope. And I was just taking Thongs it all. Thongs are dope. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know what it was at the time. Like, yeah, I, I was either. like, the Thong Song, like, the Thong, the Thong. I was like, that shit sounds sick. <laughs> I was like, I'll listen to that for sure. What do you think it was about, I don't know if you've retroactively, retrospectively reflected on it, but like, what do you think it was about hip hop that spoke to you at that age? I think a lot of it was that I never really found a sort of music that spoke to me in terms of like, you know, who I was growing up with, who I was at the time, like being like a five-year-old kid in the Bay Area, like all my friends, I, I grew up in a place called San Mateo, which is kind of an in-between point, like a real, like a suburb outside of uh, San Francisco kind of near, uh, but all my friends grew up in like Oakland. So like we'd always, I'd always have to like go travel to their houses and stuff. And like, that's what I just grew up listening to around them. So in that space, it was like my parents weren't really music people. Like my dad was into Celine Dion and like electric light orchestra. So I was like, all right, that's fine. But like, it's not, it doesn't really speak to me. So when I first heard rap music for the first time, it was like, all right, these are people that like, like I can see the videos and it looks like the kind of things that I'm surrounded by all the time. And the way they're talking is the kind of voice that I hear all the time. So it's like, this is the one thing that actually made sense to me as opposed to something that was uh, external from my own self. It was like something that like I felt like I was included in. So that grew into something crazier. And I just think ever since I've been little, I've always had like an inclination towards like wanting to learn more about stuff. So I've always had like a weird curiosity about shit. So like with rap music, it felt like the one thing that was growing with me at the time, because essentially uh, uh, in 1998, rap music was still not in its infancy, but it was... It, it, a teenager exactly like the thing about like rock music is like you think about rock music in terms of periods like the last real rock music period was maybe like classic rock and then you have like uh, garage rock in the 2000s but with rap music it's like it's constantly evolving it's like you have the early 90s and then you have the late 90s and then you have the early 2000s like the bling era and everything so it's like always evolving and then as you're getting into it you're evolving with it and you're kind of going through the strides and you're seeing who's like popping it's like i can't remember i like it can you think of like people who would like argue like who's the best rock star this year? Like nobody says that shit. Yeah, right, right, right. But like with rap, it's always like who's the best rapper this year because it's constantly going through the motions. It's like one of the only like forms of music that's very tapped into the contemporary era and like the way the world works now. So I think that's what kept me so uh, focused into it. And I mean, there's it's like always I could, I could always learn something new about somebody else. There's always somebody else popping up, and it's just something that like really struck me about that. Yeah, I mean, I think the more and more people are like realizing hip hop is kind of the voice of our of the world these days. That's why it's the most popular music genre. There's something to it that that everyone, yeah, it evolves so quickly because it's just speaking the times back at you. It's a yeah. Anyways, before I say what I'm about to say, I don't want anyone thinking that I'm that I'm like a salty dude who's doesn't like mainstream hip hop because I fucking love all kinds of hip hop, uh -huh. club hip hop to '90s hip hop to whatever backpack conscious hip hop doesn't matter. But I guess a lot of people. And I have to, in the past, kind of bemoan the, um, whereas hip-hop started as kind of this tool of, you know, community and self-empowerment for the black community, obviously. It, it became a kind of an excessive focus on materialism and, and, you know, decadence and whatnot. 
um, which is fine sometimes, but it's become it. Some a lot of people complain that it's become excessive, uh-huh. but I also know that you, that you have these uh, this affinity for for politics and political engagement. I'm wondering if you see some kind of synergy between your love for hip hop and your affinity for politics. Well, just to go, just to backtrack a little bit, I always, I always think it's funny when people talk about hip hop and they always talk about the birth of hip hop as this thing that was kind of like a community empowerment tool. I mean, it was a, compu- a community em- uh, empowerment tool, but at the same time, you got to think about the first recorded rap song ever was like, I said a hip hop, the hippie, the hippie to the hip hip hop. It's gibberish. <laughs> like, it's literally gibberish. Rap, like essentially rapping, the art form of rapping started over a DJ playing breakbeats and somebody speaking gibberish to make people move. Mm. So, if anything, I think what's considered mumble rap and not real rap now is more similar to the actual formation of original rap than what is considered conscious rap. Interesting. It was, I, I can totally see that. It was never really like supposed to be about like, let me fucking speak into your ear and tell you all these truths. That came along with the time with like with the message and Melly Mel. But prior to that, literally, it was just dancing it was all about the excess all about just like this hedonistic like view of the world it's like yo let's fucking dance this party shit's going like shit's terrible you're totally right (laughs) but but aside from that um i mean initially when i was younger yeah like uh when i finally started gaining like this uh identity within like myself like when i when i finally started like thinking for myself i guess when i was like in middle school and like obviously like i gravitated towards music that i thought was more conscious because that was the things I was into at the time. Like I was learning about like Latin revolutionaries. So when I heard Immortal Technique, I was like, oh, this is like amazing. Like he's speaking to me. And that's like, like listening to that kind of music. And I think naturally as a, as a, like a fucking fat little middle school kid, like hearing somebody angry and talking about how fucked up shit was kind of made me feel like, oh yeah, shit is fucked up. <laughs> so I loved like Immortal Technique and I loved like Jedi Mind Tricks and I loved all this shit that was just angry people mm. and anything that wasn't angry and anything that was happy and like dancing, I was just like, fuck that because I couldn't dance. So I was like, I'm not, I can't feel this shit at all. So, but I think that's also something that comes with immaturity is like um, hating on other shit because uh, you can't relate to it in a certain way. It's, sure. it's kind of like a lack of empathy. But yeah, I mean, for sure, uh, political rap and the discourse that was going on within conscious rap was something that made me really like feel like uh, this one small group of hip hop, like the whole backpack, the whole underground thing was something amazing. And especially when I moved down to San Diego, um, there used to be a record store in PB that closed down in 2016 called Axis Hip Hop, which is like one of the cornerstones of like underground hip hop in San Diego. So we, me and my homie Ryan, who goes by Nate the Beat Kid now, we used to go there all the time and just like get like records and I talked to the people and it felt like this crazy sense of community that like I fucking, I loved and I, it only like emboldened my love for like rap music at the time. I don't want to fall too deep into, into hip hop right at this moment. Uh-huh. We can have maybe a part two, but how do you feel? I know you can feel your love for fucking hip hop in all the events you do and in everything you do. Um, how do you, what do you, what's your, what's your read right now in the local hip hop scene in San Diego? I think it's the best it's been in a long time. I mean, the thing with uh, San Diego rap music, and I, I think San Diego music in general, is just a, a lack of archival. Like, nobody really... nobody really. Uh, people like rap music here, and people may like local rap music, but nobody's actually taken the time to, like, ingrain how important it is to the people here. So, like, for, <clears throat> for the longest time, it's like, I mean, Southeast rap music has been happening forever. Like, yeah, like, there's there's been people for decades. But that's still so separate from 
the rest of San Diego. Like for the most part, there's a lot of people who don't even realize that we have a rap scene. And I think now the walls are, st- are finally starting to like dissipate. So like you have people like YHG Pina or like Hardini or yeah, Hardini who are like Southeast Dago rappers and people actually know them beyond Spring Valley and Lemon Grove, like with Rob Stone and everything. Like before Rob Stone, the last rapper to pop off from San Diego was like Mitchie Slick and J.O. Felony. And that was like in the mid 2000s. Mm-hmm. So I think the doors are finally starting to open up where people are starting to appreciate that kind of music and actually uh, take into account like that it's something important and worth holding on to. Sure. Did you ever make music? Did I ever make music? Yeah. Yeah, I, I rapped from that from 12 years old until uh no, yeah, no from like 9 years old to like 17. Yeah. Yeah. And why would you why you stop? Um <laughs> one time <laughs> I was going to open I was playing at Epicenter and they were like, "All right, do you want to open up?" I remember that fucking venue. <laughs> yeah, Epicenter, shout out Epicenter. Wow. Um uh, yeah, Mira Mesa. But yeah, I was going to open up uh, and they're like, yeah, do you want to open up? It's a big rapper. And I was like, oh, shit, hell yeah. And then they're like, yeah, it's T. Mills. And I was like, I don't know if you know who T. Mills is. I know the name. I don't really know. He's like about. a Macklemore type rapper. Okay. And then I, that moment I realized, oh, like I'm the white rapper guy. <laughs> so I was like, fuck this shit. And then I completely, I was like, this is not, I'll, I'll let somebody else take this space. That's not me. Oh, that's hilarious, man. Do you, do you miss the, the glory days? No, I hate that shit. I think, I mean, I don't hate it. But I definitely think that it was, uh, I mean, it, it helped me, like, feel like I expressed myself. But now I like to think that I incorporate that self-expression in a different capacity. That- yeah, you do. I actually wanted to talk about this later, but in the way you, you can feel it in the way you write articles. It's, it's almost like, like hip-hop news in, in some kind of way where it's, it's digestible. It's done in a language that, that is accessible to, to people who just don't like reading the fucking news. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? No, yeah, no, I think that's important. Absolutely. Uh, before before we head into that, yeah, uh, to keep in the kind of political thread, I can't tell if you're sarcastic or not. It seems sincere, but also tongue in cheek. How you kind of you you're not shy about sharing your political aspirations on social oh, media, yeah. uh, which is they, they you're doing it in a funny way, but it feels like there's some sincerity in it. Uh, I'm wondering how what, like what the not to hold you to it. Like if if you're listening to this in 2040 and and. You know, just don't hold Andy to his opinions because shit changes, you know? Yeah, I mean, Lil Wayne said he was the best rapper alive before he was the best rapper alive, and then he became the best rapper alive. So if I say I'm going to be the future mayor, I'm going to be the future mayor until I become the future mayor. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> Speak that shit into existence. Exactly. So what, what is it about politics, I guess, that you think you can't... Well, what do you feel like you could offer politics that you can't outside of politics? I think that there's a general trend, and I wouldn't like to say trend because I don't want it to end, but I think there's a general uh, acceptance now that politicians aren't these like white dudes who are created in some sort of think tank, that uh, that people who are going to run our country and run our city and run the state and everything are people who actually care and who have a voice and who aren't being uh, controlled by some sort of super PAC, you know? Mm-hmm. Like these are, these are, like I think the, the future of politics is now being broken down into this kind of um more like everyday man type of uh industry and i think that we need to pursue that kind of thing it's the same reason that like alexandria ocasio-cortez is like very popular now exactly because she's she's speaking through the people's voice and because she is one of the people and i think that we should encourage more people who are very uh tapped into the community to start seeking roles of like 
power, not power, but like start seeking roles of like uh, political, uh, you know, like influence, yeah, power. Politi- yeah, yeah political influence, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. like 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 run for public office. Like I think that's I think that's what's missing. You look at like the county board of supervisors. That's why I was so adamant about Omar Passons running because Omar Passons is the kind of guy you can walk into a brewery in North Park and you'll see him there. And it's not to say that anything that it, it downplays who he is as a like uh, a serious person and like a serious figure in politics, but like that's that's dope. Like, when's the last time you walked into a bar and saw uh, Kevin Faulkner? Like, or it went anywhere and saw Kevin Faulkner? I don't Faulkner. even know what that dude looks like. <laughs> <laughs> but exactly. Like, like we've, be, we've become so accustomed to think of politics as this disconnected force that uh, kind of just runs things without our soup or without our say. And that's almost like the opposite of what a democracy should be. And I think uh, the more that we make political positions or the people in political positions, people that we can relate to and people that um that speak for us then i think that that that's how we can start creating like a, an actual democracy not like this republic that we just have now yeah i've always really felt strongly that we should that we would be way better off if we did not have career politicians in office like oh, yeah. exactly what you're saying it, it was people who who've had a life way outside of politics in music, in whatever the, the fuck you want to call it, but and then after they've learned what they needed to learn, they come into politics rather than someone who's like from the get go at twenty one years old, like interning at fucking city council and you know like working their way up, wearing a suit every day, and then just doing politics. It seems like that just kind of narrows your perspective on what actually is going on. Exactly, and it's nuts because it's like you look back at like all the presidents that we've had, and it's like they all come from families that are that have been ruling New England for years. It's like you look at the Kennedy family, like they're all Boston Brahmins. Like they all come from these rich families that have generated wealth and just like they breed these kids to become politicians, not to be humans. So they don't they have no idea what being a normal person is because if from the moment they were born, they were sculpted into this figure that had to be perfect, that you had to go to do this, you had to do that. It's like and we've gotten so readily used to that that anything outside of that now I like to think seems refreshing because we see somebody who speaks up and who speaks out and who's not like not being uh uh I guess limited by those those ideas that we used to have. I think that's refreshing as hell. And I think we need to it start promoting that more. And I think we I think it is moving in that direction. Oh yeah, for as sure. As like negative as it can be, or, or or like doomsday as it can seem to have Trump in office, I think there is a way fire under our asses to do, to exactly move, it. and that's why AOC is so fucking popular. Exactly, uh, I do feel good about where where it's going. Do, but, you, do you think AOC would have been as popular if Donald Trump never became president? I it's hard to say, but I don't think so. I think, I think, I mean, I think Donald Trump's election. It's it's kind of ironic that he he's the dude that broke it apart, like because he's out from outside of politics, and he's. It's weird how everyday Republicans who are kind of poor white folks see him as like the everyday politician. Oh, yeah. Because he was he's like the Kennedys, but from a different from just outside of politics. It's weird that he kind of broke that apart being a reality TV star, which is exactly what we're talking about, being like not not a a career bred politician. Yeah. It's kind of twisted that he did it. But I think his election really lit a fire under people who, who never would have gone to the polls, who are just like, fuck, we it's like time to really change fast. Yeah, and I think that a lot of that fire has gone to people like Alexandria. Yeah, which is a good, good, good. I guess, I guess silver lining. Yeah, definitely. Um, so given your, yeah, that was very hip hop, by the way. The, the mayor, the, the claim that you speaking it into existence. <laughs> so, so rapper Andy's still alive. <laughs> it's somewhere in there. <laughs> um, 
given the 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 political aspirations like you could have like i said you could have easily gone into interning at a city council office or to law school or like you know like bred yourself for pol to the more traditional way of politics but instead you chose to to invest all your time and energy into creating culture for san diego and in giving it a cultural identity and providing music and art and a platform for people who who need that um i'm wondering what this whole experience so far obviously you'll have a lot more in the coming years what it's taught you about public service and, and leadership wait hon, can you repeat that again one more time yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry no you, you didn't go the tra if you, oh yeah okay say in 20 years you end up being mayor yeah. you didn't go the traditional route you yeah. chose music and diy parties oh, and, and yeah, okay. providing a platform for artists i'm wondering what you think this process is teaching you about public service i think that's a i mean it's it's really interesting because i always like i always think about that like how i could be interning at like let's say uh with a, a city council person or a congressman or like i do volunteer work for certain uh politicians but like aside from that a lot of the work i do is very like you said diy very community-based uh music and art events and like all that stuff i think to me that um being as like grassroots as that literally is it's like finding businesses and finding people who you work with and then creating something out of nothing uh and fundraising your own money like these are all skills that uh can be applied to other things i think the way that we see careers now is an outdated way that it's gonna eventually dissolve in the future but right now we see careers as this thing that that has all your skills it's like if you're, you're a lawyer and lawyers do this you're a doctor doctors do this like electrician electricians do this but you're not breaking down the actual skills that you're learning within those industries. I think that skills eventually will dissolve outside of careers. So like the way I see it is I'm doing this work right now because I legitimately love San Diego and I love trying to promote a sense of cultural identity here. I'm learning skills within those industry, within this industry that will be applicable in other things in the future. Once we start realizing that careers are like a man-made invention, it's like once that ends, those skills will still be alive. I'll still know right. how to fundraise. I'll still know how to talk to people. I'll still know how to uh, connect businesses, connect people, create or solve problems. Like these are not things that are going to dissolve. Let's say if the live in music industry dissolves, these are things I'll still be able to apply in other uh, factions. So I think that that's, that's the most important thing out of the work I'm doing. And I also like to think that like, no matter what, um, either way, like, all the things I'm doing right now will help out what I'm eventually going to do. And like you said, a lot of the things I, I say are in jest. Like I, I'm, I might, I, I might not be married and that's fine with me, but it's just like, it's funny for, it's like to me to just put it out there like shit. If that does happen, that'd be dope. But I just like to be able to create a sense of change immediately right now. And I don't think I can create that change if I'm working behind an office that I could start thinking maybe 30 years from then I'll be able to enact that change. If I'm able to for do sure. it, if I'm able to do it right now, and actually see a formidable change every single year and see incremental growth, then that means more to me than anything, any weird long con, you know? I totally fucking agree in general. Like, the immediacy of what you do and of what pretty much a lot of things do outside of politics is, is what politics needs to absorb. Exactly. The immediacy because it's it's all like you just shit changes so slowly and bureaucracy and all this crap. And I do think that it's so much more – the world is changing at such a fast pace that the more fluid you can be – just the better you are suited. And I, I, I hope that our politics uh, reflects that more and more. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think it will. I think it's definitely yeah, going to head there. Let's uh, talk about San Diego a little bit. <laughs> San Diego is... Uh, many people love San Diego, but for reasons that 
are different than probably you and I is like the, the you know the nice beaches the nice Mexican food the yeah. great fucking weather it's great it's a great place but but it's not known for its hip hop or for its cultural diversity it's the most resettled refugees in all of America the most cross border in the world all these all these things that give it such a unique little 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 flavor that is not really talked about um, you've really committed your life to. Well, at least for now, <laughs> yeah. you've committed yourself to to the pride that you feel of San Diego. You want other people to feel that, yeah, and like really have a sense of cultural identity and and pride when they think of the culture of San Diego, not just the nice weather. Whereas many people would be comfortable to leave to L.A. or New York or p- cities that already have that established and just kind of plug right in. Yeah, um, you want to bring that electricity here. Exactly. Why? I mean, the way I've seen it is like. I mean, I've, I've, I've grown up here, you know, I've made all, I've made all my best friends here, people that I know from the minute I came to San Diego when I was nine to right now, my roommate right over here, Ricky, I've known him since I was nine years old. And that's somebody who like lives with me now. Like my roots are here. My family is, they were here now they're in TJ, but like literally all I've known in terms of being an adult and in terms of being a teenager and like literally every great life moment I've ever had has been in San Diego. So I think in uh, to to downplay the importance of that because your city is not widely recognized on a global scale in terms of somewhere that's like worth mentioning i think that's doing a disservice to every single thing that you've ever done as a person and like how you've grown up and it's kind of erasing your own history because you want to apply you want to apply not where you've come from but what you can do somewhere else and i think once you start looking at history one-sided like that in terms of only the future and you erase the past i think you're doing like a huge like it's literally what everybody's done to san diego i'm reading a book right now that my friend uh lended me and it was called like the san diego that uh the tourists don't see and the whole first chapter is about how like throughout history like historians have looked at san diego and like people who've written anthologies on california from the eight, from the 1800s to 1915 and then some and like one of the people who wrote it grew up in San Diego and they're like why didn't you write more about San Diego since you're from there and he's like well to be honest like before the war nothing really happened in San Diego which is insane to say because literally the birthplace of California is in San Diego if you go to Mission Valley Mall you're a couple miles away from the birthplace of California like that if that's not already a huge landmark then I don't know what is like besides that you have so many like huge historical moments the one of the governors of uh california the last mexican ruled governor in california was a black man and nobody wants to talk about that because pio pico was a a historical figure he helped create parts of san diego that are live right now john d spreckles is the man who brought a railroad to southern california without that that would have been insane like alonzo horn created essentially what is uh downtown and new san diego and took it from what used to be the old town like these are people who created such a huge uh, shift in Southern California and without them there would be no Los Angeles there would be no none of this it's like San Diego is uh, I, I, I think it's been so long that we've been accustomed to feeling like it isn't an important city and it isn't an important landmark within history that we've convinced ourselves that it's not worth keeping track of and it's not worth keeping record of and I think uh, that complacency is dangerous and I've always been against complacency and I've, uh, I, I hate to think that if something is the way it is then we should leave it the way it is because what's, what's the use in trying to fix it? Uh, I think there's been a lot of people who are doing amazing work, who've done amazing work, who are continuing to do amazing work. And if we continue to try to downplay the importance of our city, then what's the point of supporting anything here? And I just, I mean, I, I, I see so much here, you know, and 
the the way I see San Diego is almost like a macrocosm of how I see like myself. It's like this weird place that doesn't really get like that. Like you feel like you 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 want just like this this way that it's in it's in this border between L.A. and between T.J. It's kind of in this limbo. And the same way I was telling you is like culturally, it's like a limbo. Mm. It's 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 this it's this need to try to find that identity that that I know it has and that everybody who lives here knows it has. And it's you you see it every day. We just mm-hmm. haven't put it into words yet, but that's something that we're growing towards. Sure. You've I think you've been doing this long enough to probably know what are what are some of those because people have tried to do it before. Yeah. And and have succeeded to varying degrees, but not obviously nothing that that's long lasting. What do you think are some of those challenges? I mean, I know you mentioned the complacency, which I think is a huge fucking part of it. But what do you think are some of those challenges to establishing that sense of culture here that that people can really take pride in? I mean, I think uh, one of the things that's been most instrumental to establishing a sense of culture here is the fact that we don't really keep record of much. The the two publications that we have that are more youth-centric and that are catering to a, a young adult audience are the San Diego Reader and the San Diego City Bee. And we've talked about this, we talked about this earlier or before, where uh, the San Diego City Beat doesn't really cover, like relevant music they, they they cover their music and there's no fucking shade to them like seth combs is a cool ass dude but there's more work that could be done in that area whereas the san diego reader is owned by like this fucking right-wing nut who like uh fucking spends thousands and thousands of dollars against like uh homophobic organizations and anti-abortion uh I organizations i knew that there was like a right-wing undercurrent to it but i didn't know all that shit no yeah yeah and it's like these are the these are the these are the publications that we expect to cover what we see day to day when that's obviously not going to be the case. So I think one of the things that that is going to help breed this culture of like uh, of archivism and in, in San Diego and record keeping is uh, just like it's up to us, you know. So it's like we have to keep record of this. We have to write about it. We have to send publications or we have to send uh, pieces to publications. We have to pressure people into writing about this thing or else it's never going to happen. Though the cool thing is these motherfuckers are dying off. Like that 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 that's that's the most important part of San Diego that I think people don't really recognize now is that up until the early 2000s and the mid 2000s San Diego was an ultra conservative city. So in California you had Orange County and you had San Diego as the two red cities in California. Are mayor right now is a republican which i don't if there was an election which there will be in the coming year he's it's not going to be a republican because i really don't think i'm glad you said i really don't think it will be yeah because san diego's turning that leaf where we're finally getting rid of this old guard that we used to have of being right-wing and being conservative because we're a military town but i think now uh people are feeling emboldened and we're growing so much as a city that like it's it's only natural that our uh we're, we're more shifting towards progressiveness and we're more shifting towards being proud of our city. And I think that's showing itself in every faction of the city in terms of food, in terms of music, in terms of art. I've never, I mean, obviously like I, I'm still very young, but I, I, I feel like we're in a, in a renaissance of, uh, if, uh, in terms of everything culture right now. I fucking agree, man. And it's awesome to hear from more people. Cause you, even people that I respect and admire, I'm I'm not gonna say any names. Like some people do get that complacency of like, yeah, like, but it's happened before and then it dies off, and it's like, yeah, but it just feels different now. Like, not that I'm that old either, but but it the, the wave just feels too strong to be stopped. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think I think that's what's one of the most important things. I was talking to this buddy of mine who owns a, a store in San Diego. It was a very it's like a very iconic store in San Diego. But he was uh, I was talking to him and he was telling me about how sometimes he feels like giving up because 
San Diego is such a transient city where it's like you have military who gets deployed here for four years and then you have people who go to UCSD and SDSU who stay here for four years, build this weird little community and then leave. And he said that he sees it like funneling through. But the difference is like I've 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 felt that and I've seen that obviously and I'm sure and he he's seen it too. But I it, it it's almost like where when you go to like shows and you go to events and you go and you meet people who are doing things that are creative here, these people aren't like college students anymore. Like these are people who are local residents who have established histories here now, and. I think I think it's amazing going through downtown San Diego and seeing artists who are like who are to me icons like Christopher Konecki's like work is all over downtown San Diego and it, it it's 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 insane to be able to like uh be in the same city as them and I think that that's that that's like that's the one thing that's going to keep this momentum going it's that now things are being run by residents and not necessarily people who are here just for the time being sure I totally agree and it's it's interesting that it's the very similar wave that's happening in Tijuana in a very different way, obviously, because it's a different government, but it's there There are a lot of similarities, yeah. obviously, because we're super dependent on one another. Um, but not to get into Tijuana right now, wh- where does the Traveler's Club begin? How does how did that name come about? Um, see, it's funny because uh, I went to a high school in Chula Vista, and half of the other people a part of the Traveler's Club went to another high school in Chula Vista, very like close to each other, but we didn't really know each other at the time. Um they came up with the name the Travelers Club just because they would, I guess they would go like on random adventures. There's like a weird story to it, but essentially they came up with the name the Travelers Club. That was their the, their name for their group of friends. And uh, after high school, we kind of all linked together. So my friends became friends with their friends and it was just a group of like 15 kids, you know? So like we'd always just hang out in Chula Vista and uh, we would like DJ at our houses and stuff. And the whole thing was kind of just like, well, you know, like we, we're, I, I like to think we're into cool shit. We're into cool music. Why don't we like do this, but like on a larger scale for like other people and like actually do shows where we can like curate this kind of taste that we, I think that we have. And that's essentially what happened. So like uh, the first uh, show was supposed to be like um, an art show with just like us DJing at some like random brick and mortar in downtown. And uh, that fell through. So then the next idea was like, all right, well, let's do a warehouse show. <laughs> so I, I don't know how they <laughs> gradually went up to that. But yeah, so then there's like, all right, let's do a warehouse Huge, show. Big jump. Yeah, exactly. So then we got like a warehouse in Logan. It was like right place at the right time. The guy was there. We asked him and we did the warehouse show there for the first time and we were expecting like 50 people, like our homies and stuff. And it was like 150 people and I was like, oh, that's dope. So then we did another one a couple months later and it was like, 500 people and I was like oh that's crazy so I was like how can we keep doing this and keep growing it and I think I've I caught the bug since then because it was like um that's all I've just thought about since 2014 it's just like how can I keep growing this and every year I find that like my my capacity to think uh, in terms of like how can we keep growing it grows more and more every year because back then my the my ceiling was what what uh official venue can we do this at like to me in my head it was like damn if we did a show at house of blues that would be the ultimate shit ever and then we did a show in house of blues in 2015 and i was like okay well if we did this like this would be the greatest shit ever and then we did that so it's cool now to to look back and like think about 
the the growth it's gotten because up until 2017 i i don't think that it, it was anything worth mentioning but in 2017 i like to think that that's when we really started taking it serious and i started taking it serious as like this kind of media company that i could write through because i've always written but i've written through my own self not necessarily through uh, an outside voice and I think that that was like my, I realized that this was a platform that we could, I could talk my shit and people would actually listen, you know? And that's, I think, helped a lot with it. I'm kind of a nerd for like nitty gritty shit. So I have so many fucking questions, man. Like in the beginning years, how, so there was 15 of you that were the Travelers Club or some, some yeah. kind of number like that. How was that? Like logistically figured out, okay, who's going to DJ? Who's going to do what? Like there's so many of us. How how did you figure out roles in such an early such an, like so to make sure because there's so many egos in the room, you well, know? Well, that's the thing though. It's like there's 15 of us. Uh, four of us DJed. Um, I was basically running like the operations of it, and uh, and everybody helped out in terms of like promotion and day of operations, like working the door, doing all this stuff. It was kind of it all it all naturally fit together. There was never like the sense of oh you're overstepping your boundaries, and. I think that naturally just kept growing and eventually um, like we're all, we're all still friends. We all still have a group chat with all 15 of us still. But uh, I think now people have kind of fallen into their positions. Like I have a friend who handles the finances. I have a friend who handles the day of operations and hires all the people to work at the shows. I have the, the same four DJs who still DJ every show. Uh, like I, I still handle all the website stuff. I still handle the booking and we've hired on other people to hire, to like help out with booking and everything. Has there been, was there ever a sit down conversation? I'm sure because I'm sure some of the 15 just like fell off into other parts of life and didn't want to be involved anymore. Was that a conversation? Because because ownership of the brand, I guess. Oh yeah, gets in the way. You know, it gets <laughs> ego. I, I'm saying because I've experienced it too. Like egos yeah. can get involved. Where it's like, why is Andy getting all the? Or you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. No. How did that? No, how, what was that process? And like? we've had those conversations where like. It, this was mostly prevalent in like 2016 when I think things started turning like and started like getting bigger was the conversation of like, well, we started Travelers Club and now you're running it. So where where is where, where are we now? And it was more prevalent with like the DJs, especially because essentially the whole point of Travelers Club in the beginning was like, let's play this music for other people. And then once we started booking people, it was kind of just like, OK, well, where are we at now? Now we're the support for this other person. I think that was something that really changed the conversation. And initially there was a lot of like backlash within ourselves. It was kind of just like, well, if you're going to handle everything, then like, then what the fuck does that leave us? And I think that that was something that we all had to like eventually go through. Cause I mean, the only way I, I, I saw it, and this is still my biased perspective and I'm sure there's still other, like there was still feelings at the time that maybe I haven't taken a perspective, but like, it was kind of just like, if, if, if I'm not doing it, then, what are we going to do it? Because if somebody has to do it and I, st I, I try every show to like learn more and to try to be able to incorporate as many opinions and voices as possible. But it's still something that like we struggle with, you know, like absolutely because it's like with anything, it's like There's I no roadmap. Yeah. It's like, and, and I don't, I don't want things to slow down. So it's like, I, I feel like I have to keep going. And if I don't keep going, then I feel like it's not going to get done. But uh, at the same time, I also don't take for granted uh, the amount of cooperation and the amount of work that all the homies have put in. Like without their help, there would literally be nothing, none of this. Like I've relied on them so much in terms of their their taste for music, in terms of their um, 
their their taste for design their taste for like anything like these like these are people who i trust more than i trust myself in terms of like their eye for things and that's i a beautiful thing man and i i think that that's that's one of the things i i can't uh uh overstate enough it's like these are people who uh who are so talented in terms of their ability to to know what's good and what's not and for them to tell me, because I've come up with designs that were fucking terrible, and like, like literally, like I thought they were the coolest shit ever. But like, sometimes I'm fucking, sometimes I'm corny. But these are people who have never been corny, and that's why I look up to them in a lot of ways. Because these are people who I can rely on and send them shit and be like, "Yo, is this cool or is this not?" And then they'll be like, "It's not cool. Do this instead, and we'll do that instead." And I think that advice and that uh, guidance is more valuable than anything I could have ever asked for besides that or else there, there would be no travelers club. We'd be doing some corny shit and then it probably would have ended two years later. Sure. Yeah. That, that, that honest advice from people you trust is key to anything you do, man. It's, I'm learning that too. I mean, I've, it's always a learning process because it was sometimes you think your ideas are dope and then someone's like, yo, that's just don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you got to have those people to tell you that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I, you kind of answered this, but I guess I just want to hear a little more is like, it's one thing to go from a bunch of homies throwing awesome shows together, and it's a whole other thing to run an organization yeah. that's run smoothly, efficiently, has accountability to bigger names now that you have a Red Bull involved and shit like that. And it seems, it seems to me like that you're in that transition period right now from, from moving from homies to like, wow, we're, like, we're an established organization. What has that process been like? Well, I mean, the process to it uh it, it it almost seems like it happens like without uh it's it's a very subtle growth it's like before uh in 2016 2017 a lot of the booking was done solely through me in 2017 mid i i brought along another partner his name is tyler and because I, I noticed that he was doing stuff in san diego in terms of booking people like in 2014 he booked casey veggies um Travis Scott and like I think like Kendrick or something at Soma and like it was it was a it huge like a dope show at Soma <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 like this is back then when like all of them were small artists so I know I knew he had like the vision to be able to like foresee things and he had a good taste so I was like all right let me bring him on let me I need somebody to help me like I can't do this shit like I can't be sending out these emails by myself I need somebody who has the knowledge to be able to do that brought him on and then he he brought on along eventually over time in 2018 an investor which is the first investor we've ever had somebody who just like he this this guy who who owns a bunch of dispensaries just runs runs a bunch of shit like just a real real like business-minded guy and now he's the dude who like we have meetings like every other monday and it's kind of like work you know like i show up we have a a an agenda of what we need to talk about. He breaks down uh, where we're at financially. He breaks down what we're able to do financially, uh, what the plans are for the year, where we're at. And like, in terms of like what, how many shows we can do, what we need to be doing more in terms of like uh, licensing, being an actual business he's created, like he he's, he's helped us structure ourselves into an actual organization. And it's something that's happened so slowly that like, I, I don't even notice it, but like now it's like, oh shit, like this shit is real. Like, right, right, right. Yeah. So he'll be texting me sometimes, like the investor dude, and he'll be asking me to do shit. And I'm just like, man, like, fuck, <laughs> I, 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 like, I, I'm pretty much like the guy running it. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? But then I'm like, oh no, he's like my boss now because like he's, he's funneling this. He's, he's giving us money to do stuff. So I have to be like attentive to it. Right, right, right. 
So it's, it's it's good that it's, I guess it's grown slow, right? Because it's 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 not there's not as much growing pains. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like no, and it's been it's it's been perfect. Like the relationship that we all have is so amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, I I couldn't have asked for a better person to be uh to be like believing in us and be giving us like uh the finances in order to do what we need to do. Like that shit is amazing. Dude, that's super awesome to hear. Um, I I, I want to backtrack a little bit. I know you were saying that in the earlier early days of the Travelers Club, you were like the greatest thing was House of Blues and then the next thing and it wasn't it wasn't this grand vision of what it could be. Yeah. What what did you see yourself doing in those when you were younger? Like when, when you look into your future, what, what what was the thing that you saw? Well, that changes every year. I mean, when I first started doing warehouse shows, I thought I was going to be a music journalist. Uh, the warehouse show was initially a one-off. It was like kind of like, we're going to do this, that's fun and then that's it. Like it wasn't going to be this crazy thing. And then for a while, I was like, all right, I'm going to be a, a music producer. Like I'm going to make music and release it on SoundCloud and play Coachella. And then it's like, all right, that's stupid. And then eventually <laughs> it got into like, okay, well, um, I'm, I, I got hired at House of Blues in 2015. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to be a music marketer and that's going to be my career. I'm going to work at Live Nation. I'm going to be an exec one day. And then that, uh, like at a certain point in 2017, I remember just looking at like the people I was working for and seeing the higher ups and seeing the execs and just being like, oh, that's that's what I'm going to be like that. That's fucking terrible. <laughs> like, I don't I don't ever want to be that. Like, yeah. Like, but it's so crazy because it's literally that's what I've that's what I had dreamed of. It's like, yeah, like you're going to be an official music industry person. You're going to be working at Live Nation. You get like all this free shit. And then I looked at all these fucking miserable people who were like just doing stupid like very unnecessary shit and it's just like if that is what i'm gonna work 20 years towards then like i might as well just kill myself now (laughs) so like i i i quit everything uh in august 2017 i told him i was like yeah like in two weeks i'm out like i'm whatever and and then uh, wow. wait, hold on. See, so yeah, the homie brought me a, a flyer from 2014 warehouse this takeover. The, was this is the first warehouse. That was the first takeover? warehouse takeover ever. Wow, dude. Rossi yeah, Rock on there right back here. when he was Def Steady Rock. That's crazy, dude. Wow, this is history right here. You gotta have like a. This this could be in a museum one. Day. San, Diego, <laughs> San Diego culture, man. But yeah. Anyways, like I was like, yeah, I can't do this shit anymore. So I quit. I grabbed all my shit. Uh. I was pretty. Oh, this dude's this got the museum <laughs> in his fucking room. This is the second Look at this shit. This is a terrible podcast. Dude, you got, you got the, the anniversary's coming up. Oh, that's cool, man. We like weed around here. This is this is this. Yeah, this is, this is your anniversary's coming up. Oh yeah, February twenty second, the second warehouse takeover ever. But yeah, so then I quit my job. Uh, I was pretty much homeless at the time because my mom had just left Mex- or San Diego, moved to Mexico, and I was like, I'm not living in Mexico. So I was like, all right, well, I had enough money saved. So I went on like a cross country road trip. And at that point, like I didn't have anything in mind. Like I was like, all right, well, my future is pretty much whatever now. Like whatever happens throughout this journey is going to be like what I dictate. Are you excited or nervous about that? I mean, it's crazy. I was just thinking about this yesterday. It's like, it's nuts because I was super nervous on the, on like leading up to it. But I remember driving away and going through the eight once you start passing like Alpine and I remember just looking at the rocks and I was going to end up at my homie Ricky's house in Phoenix. And I just remember thinking like, Oh, literally like 
I could just never come back or I could just do whatever I want. You didn't know if you were coming back to San Diego. Yeah, well, it, it was kind of just like, I don't, I'm, I'm not obligated to do anything. Like, I could literally just leave and do whatever I want. Like, that sense of freedom is is so insane because every single day you wake up, you know you have a responsibility. You know you have to go to work at a certain point. You know you have this, you know you have that. But to wake up one day and just be like, I don't have to do anything. Yeah, that's crazy. It's, it's It was nuts. So I think that helped me out. That whole, I took a, like a month and a half off and just drove around America, like all across the South, all across the Midwest and stuff. And I think throughout that period, I started owning in on my writing and I was kind of just like, all right, like, this isn't going to be like just for me. This is going to be like, I want to start writing about things that I think are important. And I remember near the end of it, I started missing San Diego so much. And I started realizing that like, I literally like, I was like in love with my city. And I think that's what helped fuel my passion to start taking things into overdrive. So when I came back, it was like, all right, fuck all that. Like whatever shit. Like we used to throw shows once every, every like four times a year. And besides that, we would never post. We'd never do anything. It, it was just that. It was just there. But when I came back, it was like, all right, every single day I'm going to be working at this. I'm going to be throwing shows all the time as much as I can, blah, 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 and taking it serious. Mm. And I think that's when I started like thinking like, okay, I don't care what I'm going to be. And eventually, like even the job I have now, like I don't I don't see myself being having a future in it. I don't know what I'm going to be if, when the time comes, but I know whatever I'm doing now will eventually lead there. So, sure. so that's that. like what feels good in the moment. If it feels good, you know, it's going to get you to a good place. Exactly. It's almost like on that trip, you like spiritually joined the travelers club became and, and really like adopted it into your being. Exactly. That's literally, that's literally what it was. Yeah. That's crazy. I think it's, um, I'm going to start wrapping up here in the next few minutes. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's easy to categorize if someone doesn't know you, you or like what you what the Travelers Club does. Really, it's easy to think like, oh, they, yeah, they just throw parties, they throw great shows. Or, or like, it's 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 that would be the simple thing to go to. But I think probably you think of the Travelers Club as something way more, like you said, cultural coverage, like uh, way more rounded, wholesome than that. It's a bigger, it's a bigger monster. How would you describe what the Travelers Club is? Well, that's like a thing that I battle with a lot because a lot of times I wake up. And I think about like the whole Travis Club thing and I think, well, like, you know, essentially at the end of the day, we throw events and people come and they get fucked up and they like, they watch acts that they love and stuff. But sometimes I get down on myself. It's like, am I really doing something that's progressing towards a certain change? Am I actually uh, pushing a conversation? Am I doing anything worth of substance? And it really fucks with me because it's like, maybe I'm not. Maybe all I'm doing is kind of superficial and I'm kind of just throwing things into the void. But I like to think that... um we focus a lot on trying to like at least put things out and at least trying. I think that's the most important part, just trying. So it's like when we put out articles that like break down news into comprehensive language or when we like do like the voting guides or when we uh, do uh, community events like workshops, like the each one teach one workshop, like all these things that I know can actually help in some sort of capacity. I think that's where the true substance with Travelers Club is, besides the shows. I mean, the shows are fucking amazing. I love doing the shows. But I think uh, I see equal value in the sort of like community work as well as the, the events. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the, the, the true importance of it. It's like, how can we keep progressing these two things? Because I think it's, I think it's, it's crazy to think that having fun is lesser of a of a a substantive thing than like doing like let's say a workshop because it's like i and i think that a lot but it's like in reality like one of the best things you can give people is a sense of like 
like leisure, like being able to just be happy for a second. That's what everyone fucking wants, man. Yeah, exactly. So I'm trying, I'm trying to like be able to understand that myself, but, um, I think, I think that's what I'm working towards. I'm working towards being able to like, uh, be able to solidify our community work and be able to make the workshop something bigger and better and more accessible to a lot of other people and communities throughout San Diego. And also want to make sure that our, our, our shows are something that gets bigger and better than it's more accessible to people through the thing. So I'm trying to intertwine these two worlds now. And I think that's what, once we get that, I think that will be the crystal clear moment where I'm just like, all right, this is, this is something good and like yeah, I mean, just for, as an objective person, like we've only met a few times, and how it seems to me, it seems like you really are doing. I, it's it's a weird, fucked up thing because it's like we don't take fun seriously, like the importance of fun, and it, it's like it has no gravity in the real adult world. Like you can't you can't like have fun and like do serious things for changing the world. But I, I heard a quote once, and it's like to influence people, use what already influences them. So the majority of people, the reason they don't engage in, like, activism or politics or whatever is just because it's not fucking fun. And you can't blame them for that. Like, not everyone's going to care about that. But they do want to go see live music. They want to get. They want to drink beer. They want to do whatever. And I think, I think that's, there's nothing wrong with that. If you can use that in a way that, that does drive a positive conversation and, and progresses our society towards a place that is more accessible, I think the question I really want to ask is, it is accessibility. The idea of – the notion of accessibility seems that like it's something that's – always infused into your work yeah. from the each one teach one workshops to the way you write articles that makes it makes news accessible to people that just don't want to read the news um accessibility seems like something that you're really um bringing to the table to san diego in a way that it, san diego hasn't been accessible the, the san diego that we think of hasn't been accessible to a lot of people in that we think of before and you're really bringing creativity and a platform for artists that don't have it, and people can learn how to DJ, and they can learn how to do all these things, event planning, um, and they can just tap into the conversation from reading the news to voters, you know, like voting guides. How, what is that? I want to hear your thoughts on that, on accessibility, and, and how you're relating to that. Well, I think you broke it down perfectly. I mean, literally every single thing that we've talked about right now in, in some way, shape, or form uh, relates to accessibility. It's like... The one thing that I saw about San Diego that wasn't uh, that was keeping us back from progressing as a city was that accessibility to information. It was to an accessibility to our own history. And then you think about um, like why I started Travelers Club or like or not why I started Travelers Club, but like why I took Travelers Club into this direction and like why I still feel the need to take it into this direction is because I want to be able to create a sense of culture identity that's not accessible to people who live here because they don't have they don't see it, you know. It's because it's obvious, like it, it's it, it's and you can't blame anybody. It's because it's it's very hard for people to be able to find their own voice here because they look elsewhere for it. So I think uh, accessibility is the most uh, fundamental trait you can give somebody that could help them progress into another step. You know, it's kind of like it's like if you're walking on a staircase and other steps 50 feet up, it's like you're not going to be able to make it there unless you bring it down. So like I think the most important part is to be able to create this little baby steps for people and be able to like show them that like, yo, like there's there's other things that we can all do together. That, That's a great metaphor. Yeah, that, like we could, like that that would be able to establish us as like a city that we deserve to be. And I think that uh, that's the most important thing we can do. But, yeah. That's beautiful, man. Uh, I have one more question. I know, I know you said it keeps the vision keeps changing year to year as 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 the ball keeps rolling. But right now, in this moment, how, what what is the ideal form that the Travelers Club could take in the coming years? Um, 
the ideal form, I hope that we can solidify a certain, uh, a certain online kind of like presence where we can, uh, kind of my my ideal shit is that we can take travelers club and make it be uh like on par with the san diego reader and the san diego city beat so when people are looking for san diego news written through a voice that's actually speaking to them they'll come they'll come to the travelers club you know and i want that to be a huge thing i also want the travelers club to be uh, a music and live event uh company that rivals like led or that could even grow as big as to rival like golden voice one day where we're actually doing events that speak to people who want to see this kind of shit in san diego because it's like a lot of the people i talk to when they think about san diego uh they know led that does all these like edm events at bang bang but aside from that the left field is very small in terms of like who's actually doing stuff we had shota and shota used to bring people to san diego that would never come here and now shota's gone so it's like we need somebody to fill in this gap and not only fill in that gap but fill it and as well uh, extend beyond that small niche and also go to like people like Madlib who otherwise wouldn't have came to San sure. Diego. You know, like I think that that's something that we could focus on and try to like bridge that. And uh, I think the more that we, we keep growing this as like a, a media company and as a music event company and as a community company, uh, we can start bridging these gaps that eventually right now we see as silos, but they'll dissolve eventually. Community work, entertainment, um, knowledge and like uh learning about stuff i think eventually as time keeps going on these things will become less separate than they are right now and they'll all become intertwined and i want to be able to dissolve those barriers i want people to like go integration exactly i want people to be able to learn have fun and uh be able to do whatever they want in the same space and i think that that's something that we're trying to do so if if travelers club had a a brick and mortar location yeah what would be inside it if we had a brick and mortar location, all right, so I've thought about this a lot. So if we had a brick and mortar location, which is something I, I hope eventually that it comes to that point, and that's something I really want to do in terms of like a long-term goal, but I would love to have a center. I don't know if you've ever been to A Reason to Survive. In, in yeah, my brother teaches there. It's a oh, really? Place. Yeah. Oh, that's fucking dope. I went there recently, and um, I was doing a walkthrough. It's like, it's amazing. It's a space in like National City for people who haven't been, and they have um it's in Kimball Park and it's huge. It used to be a public library, but they have like ten different rooms and one room's a music room where they have all these instruments, another room's a wood shop room where they have like all these like w- uh, woodworking uh tools and another room is like a classroom and another room's like a rec center and everything. Pretty much they just have everything in one space. Yeah. That's essentially what I would love to do. I'd be able to I'd love to turn Travelers Club into a non profit where we can start a a brick and mortar space, like a large warehouse or something similar to that sort, where we can have rooms that are dedicated um like a a venue within that space and then have other spaces where like we can have daytime educational like uh programs or have something on the weekends where people can come and like like a historic center kind of how the san diego historic center in balboa park is um i would love to be able to do that and also include a space where we could just have local businesses rent out spaces and then have like literally like just kind of like a farmer's market of people i think that would be the most ideal structure that i could take travelers club in terms of physicality but yeah man the 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 travelers club campus i hope i hope it happens soon (laughs) cool well dude thank you so much that was a fucking lovely conversation thank you very much i appreciate it does anyone out there in the studio audience have any questions (laughs) do you hear them clapping (laughs) (laughs) thank you man thank you (laughs) 